Thank you for listening to the Grace Chapel Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our senior pastor, Kurt Henley. For more information about our church, visit our website at gracechapel.cc or follow us on social media at Grace Chapel, Ohio. Well, thank you, band, as always. Listen, turning your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 15. The Gospel of John, chapter 15. We're in a series that we're called in Building for the Future. And we've been talking about what are some key steps, you know, for us to grow in godliness personally and thus grow together corporately in order to step into the future that God has for us. And so to that end, our text this morning is John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. And our message is entitled... Stay connected. Stay connected. I'm always the last one there to give you some extra time. Hopefully you found it. Verse 1, it begins. This is Jesus speaking. He says this. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Well, for a little context before we dive into this passage, let me tell you this. In John chapter 14 and 15, Jesus is instructing his disciples uh, before he goes to the cross, and he's going very soon. And so what we're seeing here is is Jesus kind of giving some final instructions to them before he departs. And so here in chapter 14... What he says to them right off the top is, let not your hearts be troubled. And he tells them basically two reasons why why they, and thus why we, should not allow our hearts to be troubled in the difficult life that we have to walk through. And the first reason that he gives his disciples and that he gives to us in chapter 14 He says, let not your hearts be troubled because I am coming again. He says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I am coming back for you to take you where I am. That is, Jesus is saying to you and I, listen, don't let your hearts be troubled in the difficulty of this life because you have the hope of heaven. Listen, this is not as good as it gets for you and me. We don't have to freak out like the rest of the world. It is the best that it is going to be for them. That is why they're so afraid. That is why there's so much in angst if things don't go their way. We are not like that. Our future is brighter. The best for us is yet to come. And so Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled because you have a better future and listen I am coming for you and I'm going to come before you before my wrath falls upon the earth the second reason that he gives to his disciples and to us why we should let not our hearts be troubled not only do we have a better future and Jesus is coming back for us he says in the meantime 
I am going to give you another helper and he will be with you and he will be in you. He says to his disciples, you, you know him, he is with you, but he will be in you. And so Jesus says, listen, in the meantime, I'm leaving, but I'm not leaving you alone. I'm not leaving you like a bunch of orphans. I'm sending the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, and he will be with you, and he will be in you, and listen, he will connect you to me, and he will teach you, and he will empower you to live for me in your life. And so he gets through encouraging them, and the disciples and Jesus, they they leave the upper room and they begin their journey down to the Garden of Gethsemane. And on the way, they go down through what is called the Kidron Valley. And in the Kidron Valley at that time were rows and rows of vineyards. And so Jesus takes that moment to then impart to them a little more truth. And that brings us to chapter 15, verse 1 again. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. And so Jesus now, in this passage that we are going to cover, is talking about staying connected to him. And he uses the analogy of plants. And he says, God the Father is the vine dresser. And he cares for and he loves and he nurtures his vineyard, his plants. And Jesus says, he's the vine and we are the branches. And God's goal for your life and my life is to bear his fruit. In fact, to bear much fruit. And, and so what is life about? Well, it's about God the Father being the vine dresser. It's about me connecting to the vine, the life, Jesus. And it's about me bearing God's fruit in abundance in my life. That's who God is. That's who you are. And that is what you are to be about. Verse 1 again. Jesus says, I am the what? True vine. Well, well, why does Jesus emphasize the fact that he's the true vine? <laughs> well, because in a few moments, well, after the cross, the disciples are going to get kicked out of their religion. <laughs> They're going to get kicked out of the Jewish church. And so, Jesus is saying to them, and he's saying to us, don't, don't be thrown off by that. Don't, don't be fooled by all of that. that listen, the, the, the life, the truth, the, the connection is not a religion. 
It is a person, and it is me. That is, listen, in our modern world, we, our culture says, you know, our, all beliefs are, are basically the same. You know, all vines are, are basically the same, and they, they all have an element of truth. They all can help you to connect to God in, in some way, and so pick and choose and look for the good and the bad. And For example, you know, Buddhism is big today because of the popularity of yoga. And so Buddhism teaches that connection to God is found in the eightfold path. And listen, if you will just work at that eightfold path and you'll devote yourself to that eightfold path, you might, if you're lucky, find a connection to God. But Buddha, at the end of his life, in a famous statement said, I haven't found it yet. Hindu scriptures go on to describe truth. This way, they say that truth or connection to God is it's like a butterfly. And, and, and once you reap out, reach out to, to grab it, to understand it, 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 it flies away. And so you never quite get there. You never quite understand it. And Krishna says that the way to connection with God is by purifying yourself, by chanting, so that you go into altered states of consciousness that you chant over and over again, Hira Krishna, Rama, Rama, Hira Krishna, Rama, 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 and you may enter into truth and a connection with God. Muhammad, the leader of the Muslims, came on the scene and said, hey, I'm a prophet Uh, I I, I point to truth, but understand the difference of who Jesus is and what he says. He says, I am the truth. Yeah, you can clap for that. (laughs) Go ahead. So the Greek word for I am is ego me, and that's the name of God. That's the the name that God gave Moses back in Exodus, you remember? When God called Moses to deliver his people from Egypt, and Moses is like talking back to God, going, I don't want to, you know, and I can't, and who, who do I say sent me? And God says, I am. Tell him, I am sent you. And so Jesus says, I am God here, and he says, I am also the true connection to God. It's not that I point to it. It's not that maybe you can find it. It is simply, I am. John 14, 6, take a look on the screen. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Plain and simple, singularly absolute. Verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, 
he what? He takes away. Now, I, I want you, you may want to write in your pencil over takes away what I explained to you here in this moment. The Greek word for takes away here is the word arrow. And so in the, if you look in a Greek lexicon or a Greek dictionary, lexicon's a fancy name for dictionary, you'll find four definitions of this word arrow. It, the first three are this. It means to lift up, to raise up, to build up. The fourth one, which is far less common, is to take away. And so when you're looking at translating uh, the original languages into another language, when you're looking at word usage and you're trying to decide what what does the author mean here? One of the things you look to is, is context. And so one of the questions you ask, well, well, how does John use this word in the rest of his gospel? And, and so if you look in John eleven forty one, 41, he, he uses this word and he uses it in reference to Jesus lifting up his eyes. And so I believe Listen, with a a lot of other uh, scholars, Greek scholars, I'm not giving you some, you know, great new insight here, okay? I believe along with some other Greek New Testament scholars that the better translation here is not take away, but to lift up. So you might want to write that, to, to lift up over the top. I think that's a better translation. Now listen. The idea of a branch not abiding and then being taken away is in this passage. And we're going to see it in verse 6. But I think Jesus is teaching something different here in verse 2 before he gets there. And that is that God the Father, as a caring vine dresser, sometimes comes along and he lifts us up because we're overburdened and we've been downtrodden by the things of life. That is, we're like that branch that has been trampled in the mud. And so God the Father comes and he, he, he lifts us out of that mud and he, he brushes us off and he he strengthens us in order that we might bear fruit and and then he does something else that we might bear fruit and verse 2 continues and every branch that does bear fruit he what he prunes that it may bear what more fruit. Now the Greek word prunes is translated cleanse as well throughout scripture. And so I just want to point out that prunes and cleansing are connected. They're they're the same word. And so when you see those things, they're talking about the same thing in in scripture. And so keep that in mind when we get to verse three, just kind of put that in your pocket. We'll be there in a minute. But when we think of the concept of pruning, snip, snip, sounds kind of painful, doesn't it? 
Sounds kind of painful, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. But listen, uh, it is absolutely necessary if a branch is to have more life and is to have more abundant fruit. And so our loving Father, who, who loves us, prunes us. And listen, it, it, it hurts. It hurts when God cuts things away from our life, right? Things we're clinging to, strongholds that we've erected, lies that we've um, hung on to, security blankets of, of sin that we think give us, all that kind of stuff. He, he cuts it out of our life, and it's, it's painful, but listen, it brings more life and it brings more fruit into our lives. And so listen, as we submit to that, we enter in more to that abundant life and that abundant fruit that God wants to see happening in our lives. But when we fight it, we try to stay where we're at. We try to stay comfortable We cut off that which ultimately our soul longs for. Well, let's continue. Verse 3. Already you are clean because of the what? The word that I have spoken to you. That is, listen, how, how does God prune us? How does he cleanse us? The word. God's cleansing agent for your life and my life is his word. It, it, it condemns sin. It inspires holiness. It, it gives us the path of life. It, it shows us the power for victory and, and so much more, right? Psalm 119 says, how does a young man cleanse his ways? By taking heed to thy word. Paul picks up on the same theme when he's talking to husbands in Ephesians 5 and he is commanding husbands, love your wives. And in that context, he then says, he's the husband and the church is the bride. And, and he says, listen, that he sanctifies his bride, the church. He cleanses her by the washing of water with the word. The word of God is the means, the agent that God uses to prune and cleanse our lives. And so when we stay connected to the word, it, it cleanses our hearts. It, it keeps our minds pure. It, it keeps our vision clear. So that, listen, when our friends come to us and they say, you know what, you really ought to be doing this with us and you really ought to be hanging out here and, 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 and we know 
that that's darkness. And, and when the world comes in and says, you know what, you ought to be living for this, and you ought to be spending your time here, and you ought to be pursuing this, and you ought to be buying this, and this is what's going to make you happy, and you know, you got to live your best life now, and, and all this other stuff. When, you, when, when your heart gets pulled in a hundred directions, and your mind gets confused by all the voices coming at you, you come back to the Word. And it cleans out your heart. And it removes the confusion in your mind that the world and the flesh and the devil himself puts in your path. And as we come back to the word, then we, we see the truth. And we see God's love and, and we see his power. And, and it brings us back to clarity This is who I am. I'm a son and daughter of God. I fear him and him alone. I am a new creature in Christ. By his divine power, he has given me everything I need for life and godliness. I am living for heaven. I am living to please him. I'm not about the things of this world. I'm not afraid of the things of this world. I am a soldier for Christ. And so that's a, that's a daily thing, right? You know, uh, we have to cleanse our mind with the word on a daily basis. We, we, we need that adjustment. Verse four, Jesus continues, abide in me and I in you. That is, he's talking about a mutual relationship here. And he's not only saying, listen, we need to abide in him, but that he's actually going to abide in us. And yet with that, the uh, abiding part is, is a part that we have to choose. And so when it comes to abiding, what is that? What does that mean? Well, it's talking about our choices, It's talking about my decisions, that the choices I make, that the decisions I make either bring me in connection to Jesus or they disconnect me from Jesus. And so what Jesus is saying is is make it your habit. to to make the decision to connect to me, that the the choices that you're making are drawing you closer and closer to me. Now, here's a sobering truth for you, and you can't blame anybody else. And I'm talking to me too. Everyone in this room is as close to Jesus as they want to be. a universal truth. And so the decisions that we make help us to abide. And so if we're thinking about those decisions, listen, two basic decisions. I'm talking about, you know, baby first steps. 
two like really like first steps because abiding means so much more than this. But two really, 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 did I make that point? Basic <laughs> steps to abide in Christ is first, you need to commit to be here every Sunday with the body of Christ under the teaching of God's word. Now I say every Sunday, and I mean, except for vacations and the things that come up in life. And so listen, what that used to mean with people who understood the word was that you could count on two hands how many times they would miss in a year. What that means today is that you come once every six weeks and call yourself connected. And you're not. Jesus would call that disconnected. And my point is not to make you feel guilty, but to say you will struggle. You will struggle to bear fruit. Now, with that said, if you're here this morning, I just want to tell you, well done. You made the right decision. I also want to say this, because this flows into the methodology of the church, and <clears throat> this flows into, as I look to the future of how we do things as a church, and um, I think I've shared on a Sunday before, I'm uh, struggling with the kids' curriculum we're using. I, I think we've got to make some changes there, and this is one thing that's related to that. Um, and that is this. When it comes to this moment, when it comes to the Spirit of God and the Word of God and the worship of God's people gathering in His name, the Bible says that the Spirit not only indwells us individually, but that He comes in a greater sense. Now listen, the, the Holy Spirit's a person, but our experience of Him, I don't get it, but there are deeper experiences but it's not like we get more of him per se. He, we, we have all of him. We just experience more of him. And, and one of the ways that we experience more of him is that he indwells us corporately, 1 Corinthians says. And there's something that happens when the body of Christ gathers in Jesus' name and prays to him and worships him and opens up his word that, listen, only happens in this moment. It can't be copied. It can't be duplicated. That is, listen, you can't listen to the audio later and get all of what happens in this moment. You can't get it online. You can't get it through a video screen. You can't even read the sermon in a book 10 years later and get the same thing. Now hang with me. The Spirit and the truth will edify you if you listen to a sermon online or watch a video or read a book. There is an edification that's there. The Spirit can speak to you in that. But there is something more. Don't ask me to explain it. It's a mystery. 
There is something more that God chooses to do. The old saints used to call it the unction of the Spirit. That God is speaking in this moment to you and I in this moment, for this moment, and this is his meal for us right now. And if you're not here, you don't get it. And so listen, this is, this is why in our methodology, we're getting messed up in our modern culture. And I think Satan just claps. And listen, there's nothing wrong with technology. There's nothing wrong with making our stuff available on other platforms. But have you seen what happens? Now those platforms are said to be as significant as being here. And that is biblically, biblically wrong. They're not bad but this is where God chooses. Let me give you an example. If, if, if I took Charles Spurgeon's sermon and I practiced it, man, and I, I picked his inflection and I copied him and, and I came and, and I preached it like Charles Spurgeon and you guys listen, listen, the spirit would not do in you what God did through him to that people in that moment. It wouldn't happen. It doesn't work that way. And yet that's the way we do modern church. We're beaming it into places. People are copying this guy. They're copying that guy. And you got to do this. And you got to do that. And I'm like, what? No, we got to bow before God. We got to be filled with the spirit of God. And we just need to be who we are and allow God to speak to us in this moment. Because it's about Jesus meeting us and speaking to us here. I don't care what's going on out there as much as I care about what God is doing in us. We're way off base today and I... I, I, <laughs> I, I met me in my, I met me in my sermon, but <laughs> yeah, anyway, uh, so anyway, I, we need to reel the church in, man, we, we, we need, to, we need to stay tethered to the word. Because the way that Jesus built the church and the disciples built the church is the same way we build the church. There are no shortcuts. There are no fancy methods. There's the word and the spirit and power of God. And the reason that the church is not going forward is we aren't obedient and we are not filled with the spirit of God. It is that Simple, And so we need to repent and lean in more until something breaks in. Verse 4. Oh, actually, I was going to give you one more. I said two, right? So two basic ones. One, you got to be here. It's a body. You know, if, if your kidney didn't come with you this morning, if your heart didn't come with you this morning, you'd be in bad shape. It's the same thing. I don't understand it. It's a mystery, but it is. We're an organism. We're not an organization. Ooh, 
And that's where we got to be careful. And boy, I'm getting off on some terror. We, 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 we got we to be careful about bringing too much of the world's way of systems and organization into an organism that's to be a family. There's some transferable principles, but we got to be really, really careful. Because the church becomes like a company and the pastor becomes a CEO. Have you seen it? And Sunday, Sunday morning becomes a product, a show. We can't do that. That's, that's, that's not right. That's all I know. Okay, I'm way off. Second, second habit or thing that we need to do to abide in Christ, we, we need to read the Bible every day. We need to read God's word every day. And, and so listen, you know, people ask me all the time, well, where should I start? And I, just do it. You know, for me, you know, uh, I'm, I, I'm simple. I like to get to the point. So when I started, I started in Philippians because, you know what, it was super simple and I could finish it really quick. And so it's like, it's a win. It's like, I read a whole book, man. Win. Now, you ask my wife, she's like, I, I don't care for the epistles as much. I like the Old Testament. I like the stories. I'm into the stories. So, so she, likes, she likes that. She started there. My, my point is, just open it and do it. Now, let me give you a testimony of what it looked like when I began to read the Bible. And listen, I came to Christ late in life. I came to Christ in college, and so... <clears throat> I was bound up in a lot of darkness, and I, I literally had demons in my life, and that's for another sermon. But as I began to read God's Word, I didn't understand any of it. Really frustrating. Wanted to give up all the time. I'm like, I do, I do not understand what I'm... I mean, I, I sort of understand what I'm reading. I don't understand what I'm reading. But I just hung in there, and I kept going to church, and I kept listening to what the pastor was saying, and I kept reading, and I kept hanging in there, and the Holy Spirit began to do his good work in me, all kinds of stuff that he was doing, all kinds of stuff that were in the way of my thinking and sin in my life and strongholds that had to be broken. But over time, the word began to break through and the spirit began to teach me what the word had to say. And so let me say this, just hang in there like a branch and if you will stay connected then Jesus will teach you and he will enlighten you and he will empower you to be his disciple just don't give up let him do the work that is necessary there's a lot of darkness in the way Verse 4, abide in me and I in you and as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide 
in me. That is that simple, you know, just like it's impossible for a branch to bear grapes without being connected to the vine. You and I can do no good for the kingdom of God without consciously connecting to Jesus, without remaining in Jesus, without abiding in Jesus, without consciously choosing to move towards him and stay near him. Verse 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, nothing means anything good for God. Nothing that is truly good or truly eternal. Listen, we can do a lot of things in the flesh. No doubt about it. We're good at that. We're good at sinning. We're good at, you know, doing spiritual things that are really sin and calling them spiritual. We can do a lot, but we can do nothing that is truly good or nothing that is actually God's fruit apart from Jesus. Verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. So here, here's the part where God will eventually throw out the branch that doesn't abide. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the, to the what? And burned. And so here is the sobering part of what Jesus has to share. This is a picture of a wasted life. And this is a picture of punishment. And this is a picture of hell. And hell is a real place. And hell is a place of eternal torment. And there are very real consequences for making decisions, for making choices that cause us not to abide. However, verse 7, well, verse, uh, verse 6, I'm in verse 6 still. Oh, I'm in verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. And so Jesus talks about, he talks about the price of not abiding, and then here he gives this incredible promise, on the other hand, for those who do abide. And this promise is, is hard to fathom, is it not? And what Jesus is saying here is he's saying if we faithfully abide in him, we should have the confident expectation that our prayers will be answered in our relationship with him. And so if they are not, then something is amiss in our abiding with him. Now, that's not the only reason that Scripture gives for unanswered prayer at times, but it is a big one. And so we need to ask ourselves, seriously, especially when you're thinking about 
why your prayers may be bouncing off the ceiling. Am I, am I truly abiding in Christ? Am I really full of the Holy Spirit, yielding to him, surrendering to him, moment by moment? Is the word of God dwelling in me? It, it, are my thoughts about God's word pleasing to God? Is my heart clean and my desires in line with his desires? Is my will bent towards pleasing him or doing my own thing? Am I truly abiding in Jesus? Because Jesus says this, God feels safe to say to the sanctified soul, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Because we've crucified our flesh. Because our, our will is a shadow of his will. Because our aspirations and our prayers are, are heavenly and holy. And they're in alignment with him. The psalmist said it this way. Delight yourselves in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now most people just quote that other part. They, they skip over the first part, delight yourself in the Lord, and they're like, yeah, give me what I want. Give me my desires, Lord, right? It's not what it says. Delight yourself in the Lord. That, that's alignment. Sanctified soul. God is able then to to lead through you, to rule through you, for you to operate as his representative upon earth because you are safe. You, you will steward that blessing. You will steward that gift. You will steward that power for his purposes. He can trust you, so it's easy for him to say, okay. Powerful promise that you and I potentially, and I'm not, so I should, potentially we could walk a lot more consistently in than we tend to. Verse 8. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so prove to be what? My disciples, that is, listen, when his fruit adorns us, we reflect him. Right? God's purpose is to make me into the image of his son. The chief purpose of man is to glorify God, is to reflect him. When we allow his fruit to adorn our lives, we reflect him. And when God looks down, he sees himself. And when others look at us, they see Jesus in us, and thus he is glorified in our lives. And we fulfill the very purpose for which we are created. And we will not know fulfillment. We will not know joy. We will not know love. We will not live this life in true life until we fully understand that and walk in it. Let's pray. 
Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more sermons like this, visit us online at gracechapel.cc. 